right, good morning, good morning, good morning, transit family. How's everyone doing? Good. All right. Well, uh, today is our last sermon in the Sermon on the Mount series. Yeah, we've arrived. We made it. Um, whoa. Um, I don't know about y'all, but this has been one of my favorite series to dive into and preach through. I say that about every series we go through, but um, it's really been life-changing for me, and I hope it has been for you as well. So today, uh, our text will be Matthew 7, 24 through 29, Matthew 7, 24 through 29, and this is Jesus's conclusion to uh, the most impactful sermon in human history, in the history of mankind, the Sermon on the Mount. And when a preacher crafts their conclusion, what they're after is the conversations on the camel ride home after the service. So what we see here is that um, maybe in a way, Jesus, with these last final words he's going to say to his followers, is, you know, he's going to close with a benediction. He's going to say, hey, go pick up your kids from Kids Church. And then whether they're at Chipotle, which would be open on, on Sunday, because Saturday was... Anyways, um, whether it's a Chipotle lunch or in the car, the camel ride back to their houses from the Sermon on the Mount, the conversations he wanted people to have, the questions he wanted people to ask was, hey, what did you not... It was not, what did you think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and what he said? It's, man, what are we going to do? Did not our hearts burn within us as this man was speaking? Like, 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 like honey, like we need to have a serious conversation. I'm, kinda, I'm really excited because I believe what he's saying is true. Maybe this is the Messiah that the prophets of old foresaw through the Spirit. Maybe this is true, but I'm scared because I know what he's inviting me into is going to be I'm going to have to leave some things behind. So what are we going to do? And the way Jesus shares it, the final uh, text we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, the closer, is Jesus leaves his listeners with only two choices. And those two choices are this. Either you will hear the words that he has spoken and obey them, and that will be like a wise man who built their house on solid, unshakable uh, rock, a solid, unshakable rock that a storm couldn't knock over and floodwaters couldn't penetrate, or you'll be like a foolish person who, who sat through the entire sermon on the mount preached by the Christ of glory, and nothing in your life changes because you heard, because you heard of that. You'd be like a foolish person who doesn't build their life on my love, on my precepts, and when the storms rage against that house, it will be destroyed. And so the question that Jesus is leaving is he's saying, will you build your life upon me? Will you trust in me? Will you come and follow me? Will you trust in that what I am teaching you about the way that leads to everlasting life is actually the only true way that leads to everlasting life? Will you give me your life? Will you build your life upon me? Give me your yes, place your life in my hands and follow me. He doesn't want us to be asking after since February uh, here of, hey, what do we think about this? But man, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What is Jesus inviting us into? And we're gonna talk more about that at the member meeting as well. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read this text and we're going to pray and then jump on in. So uh, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished 
these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you grateful, Lord God. We thank you that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you show us what the blueprint of our lives can look like following you, the house that we can begin to build with you as the foundation. And so come, Holy Spirit, have your way with our minds and our hearts. Would you stir our affections for you? Would you draw us closer to you? And out of our love and adoration and affection for you, would you, would you show us, Jesus, where you're leading each and every one of us to follow you, to obey you, to apply the Sermon on the Mount to our careers, to our families, to our relationship with our neighbors, to this lost and dying world, Lord Jesus. So we say, here we are, come and have your way with our lives, Lord God. And so we just pray your blessing over the preaching of your word. Jesus, would you be magnified? Would you increase? And I ask, Father, that I would decrease for the glory of your name. And all God's people said, amen. So <clears throat> with that said, if we are honest with ourselves, when we hear what Jesus is saying, it kind of sounds like a burden being placed upon us, like a hundred pound rucksack of like, boom, now I'm just weighted down. So Jesus, are you saying that unless I perfectly obey the Sermon on the Mount, that my house is going to be utterly wiped out and destroyed? Is that what you're saying? And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in the meantime, but the truth of the matter is this, is that if that's what we're initially feeling or thinking, we need to see this through an entirely different set of lenses because we're missing something that is going to shape how we carve out this sermon. What we need to realize is what Jesus is saying is absolutely amazing. What Jesus is offering is absolutely life-changing. What he's saying is this, that which every human heart is desperately longing for exists and is possible to have, is possible to receive. Jesus is saying, there is a home. There is a place that is eternally secure and unshakable. A home that no storm can topple, no moth or rust destroy, and no thief can enter. And this home is available to you both here and now and for all of eternity. Is what Jesus is offering to us. It's not a burden, it's an invitation to eternal blessing, to find eternal safety and shelter in God. That's what he's saying. That's available. That's what every human heart is longing for, that eternal haven, the place where you and I will dwell securely in peace with God forever. It's Jesus Christ who's made that possible, and it's Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is offering that to us today. So in light of that beautiful gospel reality, eternal life, eternal refuge, eternal haven in the presence of God with him forever— that cannot be shaken, there's three invitations that I think we're invited to today from our text. The first one is this, is in light of that reality, let's gladly sell our castles made of sand. Let's gladly sell our castles made of sand. If what Jesus is saying is true, then anything else we're building on and building towards apart from him is utterly meaningless. A castle made of sand is anything that is built on and of and for the things of this transient world. And what scripture makes clear throughout scripture is the clear distinction between the things of the kingdom of God, which are eternal, and the things of the world, which are passing away. First John 2, 15 through 17 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, 
but it's from the world. And watch this, 17. And the world, it's passing away. It's transient. It's temporal. It's passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's something eternal that we are invited into. There's something eternal that we're receiving. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And that future reality frames out our present attitude and actions, how we live our lives. And that's the wager. That's the invitation Jesus extends when he's closing the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do you want the temporary or do you want the eternal? Do you want the passing away or do you want the never going away? Do you want the world or do you want the Lord of Lords? And um, I couldn't help but think of this illustration uh, in regards to the, the passage in First John and, and the house that's built and the storm's raging and it, and it crashes to the ground, is imagine you're on the Titanic, right, and you're playing a shuffleboard or something, whatever you play on the Titanic, and all of a sudden you hear a thud. And all of a sudden people should ri- run around and they're like, oh my gosh, we're, the, 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 the ship is sinking. And all of a sudden you feel a little like 45 degree tilt to the boat. And you're, and, and you're like, okay, I know that this Titanic, which I am on, is passing away, but I just bought a condo on this bad boy. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, let's, let's start painting the walls in the condo. Let's start, let's start like putting 40K and new, new bath and new kitchen and, and all this stuff. Let's, 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 let's anchor down all of our, our hope and our security in a ship that is sinking. And that would be the height of insanity, right? And how, 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 how interesting and, and maybe unwise of us when Jesus is offering us eternal security in a kingdom that cannot be shaken and he's in the lifeboat crying out to us on the Titanic, saying, leave it all behind and come jump in with me. That destination leads to destruction. The destination with me at the helm of the, the, the boat leads to eternal salvation and a safe refuge with the Lord forever. But here's the kicker, is in order to get in the boat with Jesus and build your house on the solid rock, you first got to sell your castle made of sand. You got to make the jump off of the Titanic and trust that Jesus, what he's saying is true. We can't have it both ways. I think sometimes we often live our Christian life where it's like, all right, Jesus, you know, and this is the battle of the Christian life, right? Galatians 5, it's by the spirit that you put to, to death uh, the fleshly desires. But we have one boat, we got like our foot in the boat with Jesus and one foot on the Titanic that's passing away. And we're kind of like, I'm just going to do my Jesus thing on Sundays and Wednesday nights, a community group, but then I'm going to kind of have my, and then Jesus says, there's only one, there's only one rock. There's only one boat. You can't have it both ways. And if you want to know what your idols are, it's where Jesus is specifically asking you to jump in your life right now. He's saying, hey, I'm asking that the Holy Spirit to put on your heart. And he's saying, jump, just make a move, just make a move. And you're, I guess this works perfectly. So Jesus is saying, work, and saying make a jump. And, you, and whatever you look back at, at the Titanic that's sinking, and you're saying, but I'd have to, my reputation is back there, Jesus. That's my reputation. Oh, I don't want to be one of those crazy Jesus people. Oh, that's my reputation. Oh, man. Jesus, you're calling me fast from coffee? What? The coffee on the Titanic is like freshly roasted. It's amazing. Pour overs. I mean, come on. I can't, I can't leave that behind. I mean, whatever it is, whatever caused you, whatever caused that, that, that head to turn, fix your gaze off of Christ and his glory and onto the things that are passing in the world. That's your idol. That's your idol. And so our first application, I think, is this, is, man, let's sell the castles made of sand. When we behold and we, when we fix our gaze and seek the things that are above and we see the glory of Jesus, it's uh, the most foolish exchange of all of history, that we had exchanged the things of the world that are passing away. We take that rather than the Christ of glory and the life and the peace and the eternal hope that he gives us. C.S. Lewis says it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires to 
not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus consistently in the Gospels is explicit in saying, I am offering you life, life abundantly, and joy that will overflow in your life to others. I mean, the fruits of the Spirit, the first ones aren't misery and depression. And it's, it's, it's Jesus saying, I came to give you joy. I came to give you life. I came to give you abundance and peace and love and, and kindness. That's what I came to instill in your heart. And when we begin to understand and experience that joy, that transformation that Jesus gives us, we'll gladly loosen our death grip on our castles made of sand. And we're not calling, I'm not calling all of you to leave your career and sell everything you have and all that stuff. But there does come a moment, all of our life is a continual bending of our knee and saying, Jesus, I will stay with this career. I will stay where uh, in Virginia. I will do what you've called me to do. And the second you tell me otherwise, everything belongs to you, I'm going. That's how lordship manifests. Is I don't get a vote, he gets a vote. And for a lot of you, yeah, keep working, keep grinding for the glory of God, like be missionaries uh, vocationally with your jobs. And at the end of the day, we always continually, the, the Christian life is, 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 is confession and repentance, continually giving our yes to Jesus. So the first application is identify that hesitation where your eye in the castle made of sand when Jesus is offering you infinite joy. Identify that and the, 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 the affections it has in your heart and how it's doling your heart for the affections of Christ and turn from that, renounce that, and make the jump. And with the power of the Spirit, maybe the help of brothers and sisters in Christ, obey Jesus by the power he provides and make the jump, make the decision to follow him. That's how idols get destroyed. We identify them, we renounce them, and we still obey Christ, even when the idols are calling us from the sinking boat. Okay, so that, that's the first thing. It's let's gladly sell our castles made of sand in light of the hope of glory that Jesus is offering us. And then secondly, let's roll up our sleeves and start building, right? Jesus is inviting us to build because we're all going to build our house upon something. Jesus says in verse 24, everyone who hears and does will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and because the, the, the foundation of that house was secure, it stood firm. It held fast in the midst of the star, storm. And so the key distinction is not that there's two houses. The key distinction in what Jesus is saying is the location of where those houses are resting, is the foundation of those houses. So the truth of the matter is this, is it's where the house is placed. It's, it's the foundation that it, it rests upon that dictates how it will be built and how it will hold fast in the midst of the storm. So it begs the question, how do we relocate the foundation of our lives on the solid rock of Jesus? And if we're not careful, going back to kind of what I shared at the, at the beginning, if we're not careful, we'll interpret what Jesus is saying in order to relocate our lives on the solid rock as, as this. Jesus gave us some precepts and commands in the Sermon on the Mount, on Sermon on the Mount and completely devoid of a relationship with him and, and salvation. and forget, I'm just going to go obey the Sermon on the Mount, and then I'll build my life on the solid ground. Just legalism. There's no need for redemption. There's no need for, for a cross. It's just simply, here's the rules. Follow these rules, and I will be blessed. The only small problem with that is none of us will be, ever be able to do this. The scripture is crystal clear. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There is not a single human being that can puff out their chest and moonwalk 
before the, the, the Holy of Holies and say, I have perfectly obeyed you besides Jesus Christ the Messiah who obeyed perfectly on our behalf. And so before we need more rules, what I'm getting at, what Scripture makes crystal clear, this is the gospel. Before we need more rules, we first need to be rescued from our sin and then recreated and renewed. We need to be rescued from our sin and the separation that sin caused us from God. And then when God fills our hearts upon salvation, he makes us brand new. We need to be made anew, given a new heart that actually desires to love God and actually desires to obey his precepts. We need to be remade. We need to be born again. Until then, until that new birth, until salvation comes, all other attempts at godliness are meaningless. And so uh, recently, my wife and I, we bought a house in Springfield um, in December, and a little bit of a fixer-upper, built uh, a while back. <laughs> I won't tell you the date. Um, and uh, when we moved in, the master bathroom shower faucet was like constantly kind of dripping, kind of leaking. And so your, your pastor and YouTube threw everything they could at that leak. And you know how that worked out, right? How do you think that worked out? It didn't work too well. And so finally, uh, a couple weeks ago, I called a, a plumber. I know a good plumber, and he actually charges, if you need a plumber, let me know. And um, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's this. It's, it's the, the knobs. They have, they have, the knobs are like this, like the old school knobs that come out like this far, and you, like, you know what I'm saying? So two of those knobs, I think they're the original knobs from like a long time ago for the shower, and he somehow found news. like, yeah, I got to replace these stems. They're called the stems. So he re- took out the old and put in the new, and it was nice and shiny. I'm like, wow, I didn't know they still made those things. You found the exact model and installed them. And um, those would be good works apart from the salvation of Jesus, those new knobs, okay? Because after he installed them, my boy leaned back a little bit, and he put a massive hole in our shower. Because the, the shower was, uh, from the outside, it, it, it didn't look like a new shower. It was definitely an old shower. But on the inside, it was decaying because water was seeping through the grout. So it was a paper mache. Essentially, you could put your finger there. And, and crumple the shower. So now I have a, a hole in my shower that's the size of my plumber's rear end. And, um, <laughs> um, and, and so I'm looking at this shower, and I'm going, brand new knobs. Congratulations. The shower needs to be brand new. It needs to be torn to the ground. He actually did us a favor. You know, I'm like, oh, uh, first, I mean, Jen and I were laughing hysterically about how that happened, but we're like, thank you. Like, we, this is, this problem needs to be solved immediately. But replacing knobs on a shower that's dead is completely meaningless. That whole thing needs to be torn down and made brand new, and then let's get it running. Then let's start using it. And that's what salvation is all about. The first work of relocation from the uh, house built on the sand to the solid rock of Christ is the gift of salvation. It's confessing Jesus Lord. This is what John 6 says, John 6, 25 to 29. This is the context of Jesus feeding the 5,000. When they found Jesus on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They were hungry. They got some great fish and chips, and they followed Jesus across the, 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 the sea there. And uh, they're, they're following him like, hey, why did you leave us? Well, you know, we're, we want more you know, miracles. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Watch this. Watch this. This is an invitation to us today with what Jesus is saying. Do not work for the food that perishes before the food that endures to everlasting life. We can labor for food that does not last. Or we can labor and toil for things that will compound for all eternity. Eternal life. Well, how do we get eternal life? It's a gift from the Son of Man, which, watch this, verse 27, eternal life, it's a food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
For on him, God the Father has set his seal at baptism. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. The Father has set his seal of approval that this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, Messiah. And then they said to him, watch this. This is a question we're asking and answering. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Give us the rules. What are the new rules, Jesus, you're giving us? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's trust. It's surrender to the king, the Messiah who has come. It's trust in his work. It's trust in his victory. It's trust in his work on the cross, in his perfect obedience to God. It's trust in him that I give him my sin and my brokenness in exchange for his love for me. Dying on the cross, he gives me righteousness. He gives me eternal life. He gives me what my heart has been longing for forever, a safe haven for all of eternity, dwelling with God in perfect peace. That's what Jesus gives. So step one is Jesus invites us to believe in him, to place our life and our eternity securely out of our hands, securely into his hands. And that salvation is a free gift to us. The son of man will give it to you. And how do you receive a gift? You simply shift in your heart from a clenched fist to God, a clenched fist to Jesus. This is what sin represents. It's saying, I don't want anything that God has to give me. I got this. Whether, whether you're a really quote-unquote good person, but saying, I hate God, I want nothing to do with him, I'm just going to do my own thing, I'm saying, I'm boxing out God in my life, or your life is a mess, and you, and, but, but you're, still, you're still living in sin and bound and in entangled in the, 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 the trap of sin. Either way, whether we, we need to be saved from our self-righteousness and our unrighteousness, we need to be saved from this, we can both box God out each way. And so in order to see the gift of salvation, you shift from this to, to this and saying, Jesus, I want the gift of salvation that you purchased for me. I believe you are real, that you are the son of God, and that I really need what you are claiming to give me, that forgiveness of my sins. So I'm no longer separated from God, but I can be brought back to the heart of the heavenly father in a fellowship and peace with him. We open up our hands in glad reception of what Jesus died to give us. And at that moment, at that moment, when we shift from this to this, we confess our sins, our need for a savior, and we, we bend our knee and we confess Jesus as Lord all of my life, everything I own and have and my future plans, they all belong to you, Jesus. When we do that, at that moment, we're born again. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God takes up residence in our hearts and makes us brand new. Some of you remember that date. Some of you have that date on your calendar. My wife's got it on her calendar, senior year of high school, when her and her twin sister at a Young Life camp on the same night gave their life to Jesus. And in that moment, the, the reassurance of cleanse, there's something that happens. There's a cleansing from sin that you, you palpably feel, right? There's a, a hope of peace with God and fellowship with him. There's, you've had something that you've been looking for and, and longing for your entire life and you're cleansed from your sin why why would why would why do we need forgiveness so that the god of the universe his spirit can dwell inside of us and transform our hearts to match his hearts and that's how we're transformed by the indwelling of the holy spirit the third person of the trinity who applies the redemptive work of jesus on the cross and begins to transform us by his spirit so now we shift from this, moment of salvation is this, and then as we receive that free gift of salvation and forgiveness and love and the presence of God with us both now and forevermore, we shift to this. Our hands are raised in adoration and awestruck wonder that Jesus would give his life to save a sinner like me. 
and to save me from eternal ruin and bring me into everlasting, abundant life. And so we say, Lord, we lift our hands in worship. We look to Jesus, and out of love for our Savior, we say, and now I gladly give my life to you. What, what, where are you calling me to go? What are you telling me to do? First John 5, 1 through 3 puts it this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Messiah that the prophets foretold of, the coming king to save God's people, has been born of God. Any, anyone who, who believes, who trusts that moment of salvation, reaching out to the hem of Jesus' garment and crying out for salvation has been made anew, has been reborn, has been regenerated, has been made born, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, and we obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Love of God immediately manifests in obeying his commandments. You can't just go and obey his commandments without actually having an abiding fellowship and relationship with the Christ of glory. When you have that relationship, oh my gosh, sorry, that came out of nowhere. I'm drinking a lot of hot water up here. This isn't coffee. Uh, my throat, I'm not sick. Okay, I got over that sickness. But I've been talking a lot this week, a lot of meetings and stuff, and so my throat is um, a, little, a little hard. So I'm, anyways, um, so sorry for that. That was, uh, excuse me, moving on. All right. <laughs> what we see here is that when your house is relocated, that salvation to the solid rock of Jesus, your, your obedience then to him flows out of your, your, your loving relationship with him. Your obedience flows out of gratitude for his grace. We don't say, oh, I need to obey Jesus in order to be loved. It's going, oh my gosh, I've been given this free gift of salvation. It's been freely given to me. This eternal love that Jesus is offering to me, I'll gladly respond to him in love by following in his footsteps as he leads me to my eternal home. And so what I'm getting at is this, is as a follower of Christ, your life is not just built on the rock. Let me explain this. Don't cancel me yet. I think sometimes we have this static view of our faith. We make a profession of faith in Jesus, and we say, I'm standing on the solid rock of Jesus, but it has, it doesn't, it's inconsequential to my growth. So this is what I'm getting at. I'm going to throw some prepositions your way for the rest of the sermon. Is, As a follower of Christ, your life is not just built on the rock of Christ. It is built from that rock as well. As a tree planted by streams of living water. I'm going to throw some verses at your way. Before that, I want to share this. Is that when a tree is uprooted from toxic soil in a toxic stream and replanted to streams of living water, that relocation is not inconsequential to its growth. Where a tree is located becomes the very source of its transformation. Why? Where its roots are firmly planted becomes the source of its life, vitality, strength, in nourishment. It doesn't just get placed on something. It digs its roots deeper and deeper into that new soil to draw richly from this amazing life it's found. That's how you build your life from the solid rock of Christ. Yes, it's relocation. And okay, Psalms 1 through 6. 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man. Okay, so Jesus is clearly drawing from Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Watch this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We see a clear parallel with Matthew 7, what Jesus is saying. And then Jeremiah 17, uh, 5 through 8 says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. We don't, that's the beautiful thing about knowing Jesus. You don't have to draw from your strength anymore, from your wisdom, from your ingenuity. You have a good shepherd who can lead you and guide you and comfort you and empower you to navigate these turbulent waters of life, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched lands of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. But watch this contrast. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water, and it sends its roots out by that stream, and he does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves will remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it doesn't cease to bear fruit. Not because it makes a vow and a commitment that I will bear fruit in this season. It's because of where its roots are located. So the beauty of the relocation, that salvation that Jesus gives us from sinking sand to the solid rock of Christ is we have new waters to drink from, from forever. John 7, 37, Jesus stands up and he says, he's at the, he's at the party feast of the tabernacles, feast of booths, and he says, come to me, anyone who thirsts, and I'm going to give you new waters to drink from. He says, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. You'll be replanted. There's going to be a never-ending oasis of your life to draw from, to pull on. We no longer have to drink the toxic waters of our sin and worldliness. We've been uprooted and replanted to draw deeply, to drink deeply of the riches of God's presence, his joy his perfect peace, his perfect love. And secondly, what we see is the beautiful thing is not only do we have new waters to drink from in Christ, if Christ is our rock, um, that well never runs dry. That well never runs dry. Look at in verse eight of Jeremiah 17. That person planted by the streams of, of living water is not anxious in the year of drought because it doesn't know what drought is anymore. Because the stream that it's been given is the eternal presence of God, the Holy Spirit, fellowship with the Spirit of Christ forever. It never runs dry. And because, and because this is what it's saying, is even though there isn't a drop of water that's falling for this tree that's in the middle of the drought, it never runs dry and it never ceases to bear fruit in the middle of the drought because it's not drinking from the same well that the other trees are drinking from. It's got new waters, waters that never run dry found new waters. And so the implication then is this, is that in hell or high water, we can still dig our roots deep into the very presence of the Christ of glory, like planting our roots into the soil of his, his heart and drawing and pulling in the moment when the storm's raging and beating against the house, drawing up upon his strength and his comfort and his guidance. And what scripture makes clear is this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. I love this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. Watch this, verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink. God invites us to come to him with our thirst. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. They drank from the rock that followed them, and the rock 
was Christ. Moses struck the rock. What happened when the rock was struck? Water that saved the people in the middle of the desert. They had an oasis, and that was a, that was a foreshadowing of the work of Christ when his side would be pierced and what flowed out of him was what you and I desperately needed and longed for. The veil was torn and the Holy Spirit was poured out so that rivers of living water, when Christ was struck, our eternal thirst could be quenched and satisfied and met in knowing Jesus Christ. He's the rock that we build our life on. And he's the life where we draw, we, we, um, we draw life from as well. And so that's the promise Jesus gives us is in John 15, he essentially says, in John 15, you heard me quote this a thousand times, says, plant your roots deeply, just remain in the soil, abide in me, drink deeply of my love and of my presence, and you will, and you will bear fruit. It's impossible to not know Jesus and abide with him and experience his love and, and not burp. Jesus is saying, wager me this. Hang out with me. Get to know me. Spend time. Invite me into your commute. Invite me into your work. Invite me into your sleep. Just begin to see what I do. Because when our lives begin to be transformed by Jesus, that's when we actually sincerely go out and we say, man, our hands begin to start doing stuff. Our mouth begins to open. We got to tell somebody of what the transformation that Jesus is giving. He said, you will bear fruit. And not just some fruit, you will bear a lot of fruit if your roots are firmly grasping and pulling from the rivers of living water. And so the invitation, I'm going to throw some more prepositions your way, and then we're going to uh, wrap up here soon. We build on the rock of Christ. That's through faith. Christ places us there. He relocates us. And when he relocates us, we build from the spiritual rock. We get to drink deeply of the rivers of living water to empower us to obey the commandment, uh, the commands that Christ gives us. But we also build with the rock. It's relational. There's stuff to do. We want to roll up our sleeves and get to work with Christ. There's a kingdom of love and power and of glory to advance. And so abiding in Christ's love naturally leads us to obey his precepts and, and roll up our sleeves and start building. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount essentially is. The Sermon on the Mount is the blueprint of how to build your house in following Jesus, right? Um, and, and I think sometimes when we talk about confessing Christ as Lord, we just talk about, uh, using illustrations when I do this, is to say, Lord, here's the title and the deed to me. Like everything I own is yours. Like my body, you bought me with your blood. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to you. So here's my life. Here's my, you know, my finances. Here's, here's all that stuff. But also what we're doing when we profess Christ as Lord, we're also handing him the blueprint of our life. Saying, hey, here's, here's my plans. Here's what I wanted to do. I got called into ministry on March 5th, 2010, and I had my life planned out. And there was not, you give me a list of 100 jobs, and being a pastor was not one of them. You better believe you hear me this. <laughs> That's another story for another time. And not in my notes. Um, but I had my plan. I was going to build my life on an accomplished career of, of respect and excitement and adventure, right? That's what I was going to do, and I had it all planned out somewhat, speaking as a 20-year-old. Anyways, and the Lord said, you're going into ministry, and you're going to be a youth pastor. March 5th, 2009, clear as day. And then, and then when I transitioned from that and looked back, the Lord said, no, I haven't called you out of ministry. You're still in ministry. And let me, let me tell you this, when, when the Lord just kind of, I mean, I, I didn't even give him my, he just kind of took it from me, and he's like, that plan stinks. I got, I got a better plan for you. Thank God. I, I thank God. I would not, I've never, if, I, if my plans, if my, the blueprint that I had for my life came to fruition, I would have never met my wife. Three beautiful kids, want to be a pastor here, seeing God, what he's doing here is amazing. It's one of the most exciting seasons of ministry in my life. 
I don't even, I can't even begin to think about how I would have given my whole life for food that doesn't, I mean, I'm not knocking anyone who's got a, a different vocation. God very well calls people. Uh, I, I, I tried to get a guy on staff, a good friend of mine, a few months back, and he said, no, the Lord's called me to, to not be in ministry. He's called me to be a missionary through my vocation. And so he said, I can't come on staff with you. I said, dude, kudos. I love that. Um, we'll talk more about that at member meeting. All right, so anyways, what I'm getting at is this. What I'm getting at is this. When you hand Jesus the blueprint of your life, you hand it to the humble carpenter who knows so much better than you do and can begin to lead and guide you in building a life based upon his love. And the Sermon on the Mount is essentially this. Hey, Jesus, I just got insulted on social media. I got slapped across the face, and, and here's a brick for the house I want to build. And I kind of want to, instead of placing this somewhere, I want to throw it somewhere. But you're telling me, hey, no, 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 just place this brick right here. Build with me. Come and build with me. Turn the other cheek. Let me vindicate you. Hey, Jesus, I've been getting persecuted at work and persecuted and persecuted. Jesus says, don't pray hellfire down on them. Pray blessing upon them. Pray blessing after blessing after blessing. Love your enemies. Say, Jesus, I want to, I want to play the brick. Jesus saying, place the brick here. Begin to roll up your sleeves and apply this sermon on the mount. Jesus says, don't lay up treasures for heaven, but treasures on the earth. All right, Lord, here's my finances. Where are you calling me to invest more in your kingdom? Lord Jesus giving uh, the extra tunic I have to the one in need, applying what Jesus said. It's building your life on the blueprint that Jesus has given us. It's beautiful. And, and, and here's what we see, and then I'll, I'll, I'll conclude. Is we live in a really, I don't know, crazy time, right? We live in a really crazy time, and I think um, there's lots of darkness if you follow the news. There's lots of darkness that's really amplified. And the thing about when things are really dark in the world, is it just takes a little light to shine. A little light to shine to displace that darkness and have people see that city on a hill shining brightly. It just takes a, a, a turning of the cheek or serving and loving your neighbor or going the extra mile with someone in need. And when they ask you why, do, hey, let me tell you about this Jesus I know and what he's done in my life. It just takes a little bit of light for people to see the Christ of glory in us and what he's doing. And so this is our time. This is our time to go and drawing from the resources and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to roll up our sleeves and start advancing his kingdom in love and power. And so the last thing I want to conclude with is this. And band, you can come on up here. Um, and I won't leave you up here for 45 minutes like I did last week. I will conclude. Um, is uh, Let's rejoice. There's an invitation today. This is all real. Let's rejoice in the hope of the eternal, unshakable home that Christ has built for us. Because here's the million dollar, here's what everyone is maybe thinking, but I haven't addressed yet, and I'll address it now, is obviously no believer is promised a house that will never be torn down and destroyed. Church history is, 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 is uh, manifest, uh, is, 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 I don't know how you say it, I, I have a word, but I don't want to say it. Church history is full of martyrs who have lost everything for Jesus. Houses burned down, Right? Their lives taken, everything taken from them. What is Jesus talking about? Is he saying that I will have in present day something that can't be taken from me? That's of this earth? No, it's not things of this earth. The security that Jesus speaks of is the eternal home that he's redeemed us into and gone before us and prepared us for. So John 14, 1 through 3 says this. I hope these encourage you these morning, these past few verses I'm going to share. These last few. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Your Savior, Jesus, left his throne, climbed up on your cross to absorb the wrath of God for your sins. Why? So that Jesus could return to take you to himself, that where he is, you also will be. A place with no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more disease. And the hope for us is that this house is unshakable. This is the unshakable house, the kingdom that cannot be shaken that we will inherit, that eternal refuge that can never be taken from us. And why can't we lose it? Why can't we lose it? Because we didn't build it. He bought it. He purchased it. He's already gone. He already done gone and prepared it for you. It's his hands. It's his work. It doesn't depend on you. It depends on him. You and I are held firmly in his hands. The good work that he has started, he will bring to full completion. Romans 8, nothing, no disease, no death, no famine, no sword can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are secure. Your future is secure. And so I want to leave you with this. If you're here today and you're suffering and you're here today and you're mourning and you're, you're grieving and your heart is just heavy and you're worn out and weary, and you're wondering, what does my future hold? Is it more, is it more, is it violence? Is it famine? Is it persecution? I have all this anxiety about what my future holds. As a follower of Jesus, Re- Revelation 21 is what your future holds. This is what awaits you. Revelation 21, one through four. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. Oh, God, give us eyes to see this. Give us eyes to believe this, God. Oh, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And with his nail-scarred hand, he will wipe away every tear from your eye. And death shall be no more. There's no more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the former things have passed away. Let this instill hope in your soul. We have glory awaits us. Keep fighting the good fight. One step in front of the other every day that passes is a day closer that you're to this Revelation 21 reality. And so we don't just build our life on the rock of Christ. We don't just build our life from the rock of Christ. And with him, we're building our life towards him. Where he's gone before us, he's passed through our grave and shot out and victorious through the other side. And he's waiting in a place he's prepared for us, cheering us on, saying, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Soon and very soon, soon and very soon, this day is coming. Let's pray.
God who's a God like you. Who's a God like you. We didn't deserve it, God. We don't deserve it. And you've done all of it for us. Who's a God like you? Who's a king like you who leaves his throne to dwell, to live with little old us? Who's a God like you? Who's a king like you? Where can we find a love like this? There's no other God like this. There's nowhere else to find peace like this, to find hope like this, to find joy like this. If you're here today and you have not tasted and seen the realness of Christ, the realness of Jesus and the hope he gives, cry out to him today. Open up your hands. Invite him into your life. Receive the forgiveness of, of, of the sins that he's accomplished. For you. Receive the forgiveness of your sins and ask him to become Lord of your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill your heart and make you new. He'll change the destination of your life both here and now. So what he does, he's in the business of making messy things beautiful. And so Lord, we come before you grateful. Thank you, God, that you've built something beautiful for us and you've invited us to partner with you. So come Holy Spirit, lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake today. And would you uh, lift up our chains and see that our redemption is drawing near with every breath that leaves our mouth and leaves our lungs is a breath where we're closer to glory. So give us, Lord, let that vision, let that hope, that future hope, strengthen our resolve and our endurance that we would live in light of that reality that this world is passing away, but I'm inheriting a world that will never pass away. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Bless your name. Thank you.